I spent some time this past week uh, sick. How many of you have had that flu bug that's gone around? It's, it's legit. It's, it's, it's legit this year. Watch out for that. So while I was home trying to recuperate and rest, I did what any of us do. I, I turned Netflix on. I'm trying to find something that I can fall asleep to while I'm watching Netflix and trying to rest. And it's crazy the amount of Christmas movies that deal with prince and princesses on Netflix. I know some of you have watched those already. I know. I know it's true. Just to give you a couple of these on Netflix alone, you've got A Christmas Christmas Prince. And then you've got The Christmas Prince Royal Wedding, The Christmas Prince uh, Royal Baby. You've got Princess Diaries 1 and 2, Princess Witch, Christmas Cinderella, and it goes, these are adult films. These aren't kids' movies. These are adult movies based on princess and princesses, something that fascinates us about royalty, about princesses and and, and princes and and the whole thing. And kids, our kids love it. I mean, you get a little boy, and they want that plastic sword. And they're going to, they're going to put the crown on, and they're going to put the armor on, and they're going to slay the bad guys. They're going to fight for peace and prosperity for all the land. And those little girls, man, you just put a little dress in front of them. They're going to dress up, and they're going to put the shoes on, and they're going to put the little tiara on their head. And they're going to just prance around like a little princess, waiting for mom and dad to, to acknowledge it. And it's wonderful, and we love when our kids do this, right? But even, it's not just the kids, it's even us adults. Like, how many of you, you don't even have to raise your hand for this, but how many of you uh, keep up with what's happening with the British royal family? Seriously, it is legitimate. It is, it is legitimate. Uh, in fact, I read that in 2011, when William and Kate got married, William and Kate got married, okay? It was like 4 a.m. In, in, in Pacific Coast time. There was 23 million Americans who got up at 4 a.m. to watch William and, 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 and Kate get married. You flip forward to 2018 when Harry and Meghan Markle got married. Okay? 29 million Americans got up early to watch that wedding. Over 1.9 billion people across the world watched that televised event of this royal couple getting married. It's crazy. In fact, a couple years ago, my wife and I had the chance to go to a church planting conference over in England. And so while we're over there, we're going to go to London for a few days and check some things out. And one of the first things on our list was we wanted to go to Buckingham Palace. We wanted to go and look. Can we see any of the royal family? Can we see the, the, the queen in her little walker, her wheelchair? She's like so old, whatever it happens to be. But we're looking for any sign of the royal family. We didn't see any. I will say in this picture right here, that door right behind me, you've got that guard, you know, that wears the weird hat uh, that's not supposed to talk. You've got the guard, and he does his little walking thing. And, and, and I'm like, dude, that guy, I don't really feel like he stands of a chance of really protecting anybody. But the funny thing is about, about 20 feet this way, there was two guards with big machine guns. And you're like, okay, I got it. I got it. I think the reason why there are so many movies dealing with princes and princesses I think the reason why many of us are fascinated with the royal family is because I think there is something deep down inside of us. I think there, that, that deep down as, as image bearers of God, that we love the themes uh, of kingdoms, of kings. 
of dominions. That when we start looking at these things, this idea of royalty, it awakens a hope in us in a way that nothing else does. There's always that hope because every story ends with the princess finds the man and they live happily ever after. So I think we're drawn to that because there's this hope that we find through the story of kings and queens and princes and princesses. In fact, I think the reason why that we're drawn to this is I think when you look, it's kind of the story of the Bible. Because the story of the Bible is the fact that there's a prince of peace, a prince who came into human history to take us out of our spiritual poverty and move us into an everlasting life, an everlasting party with him in his kingdom. So I think we have this thing built inside of us where we we long for this kingdom because that's how we're wired. Because we are image bearers with God. And at some point, we're going to have the opportunity, if we are a believer in Christ, to experience eternity with him and his kingdom. This Christmas, we've been looking at this series that we've called uh, Hope Has a Name. And we've been looking at a prophecy out of the book of Isaiah chapter 9, where God actually gives the Messiah, he gives Jesus four very descriptive names. And these names are meant to Help us to understand the type of Savior he is. And so he gives us these four names to encourage us no matter what situation we face. And so that verse that Jennifer read for us, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And here's, here's our text. And his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And right there, we're going to focus on the fact that God calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. Now, I think we come into the Christmas time, and doesn't peace sound really wonderful? Doesn't peace sound something like we will long and we would love to experience peace at Christmas? And I, I hope you do. I hope you experience the peace of Christ during our time together this morning, during our worship time and study of God's Word together. In fact, I would even say this. I would say that probably one of the most powerful experiences of spiritual peace that I have ever experienced happens almost every year at our annual Christmas Eve service. That there's just something about gathering with God's people to sing these carols that we know so well that all proclaim the birth and the celebration of Jesus. And you hear a message that is so familiar but brings so much comfort to us about this this baby Jesus born for us. There's something about that setting, that just the the peace rules over this place, and then we take our candles, and we light our candles, and we sing Silent Night together, and and, and I can just say for me, like that's probably one of the most spiritually calming experiences I've ever had. Where she says, this powerful peace that rests over us. And, and as you start thinking about your Christmas, man, I would love for you to join us this Tuesday night, Christmas Eve. Uh, we do our service at 4 p.m. So you still have time to make it to dinner and, and do all those other things you want to do. But we'd love for you to join us right here, 4 p.m. for our Christmas Eve service. But sometimes I go through all of this and I experience Christmas Eve and I experience this peace and this spiritual calming. And then I go to what's next, and I sometimes kind of wonder, where, where, where'd the peace go? Like, we just had this experience, and then I go back out into the rest of whatever I've got going on, and I'm kind of, where'd that peace go? In fact, uh, Luke chapter 2, which is a well-known and important passage in the birth of Jesus, 
Uh, in Luke chapter 2, the angels are speaking to the shepherds. You remember this. Remember what the angels said. They said, fear not, for we bring you good news of great joy for all the people. That unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the angel said, this will be a sign to you that you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And I love this because suddenly, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts opened up and praised God. They said, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, on earth what? On earth, peace. Peace on earth. This idea that, that these angels are ushering in the time that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And Jesus is born. And now there's a time that we should experience peace on the earth. But let's just pause. One of the things I think is valuable for us is as we read this, I think it's good for us to sometimes maybe ask some of those hard questions. Because we read this about, about the angel says there's going to be peace on earth. But when you, thought, when you start thinking about the birth story of Jesus... Like, does that sound very peaceful? I mean, the story starts out with a teenage girl, Mary, who finds out she's pregnant, and she's pregnant by God. Can you imagine her trying to explain that at school when all the rumors are flying around? Well, you know, God did this. Can you imagine the rumors on social media, the things being said? Does that sound very peaceful to you? What about this? What about... Uh, she is, uh, months later, she's nine months pregnant. She's ready to burst. And, and her husband, Joseph, he's like, I got a great idea. I got a great idea. I'm going to put you on a donkey, and we're going to travel 120 miles to Bethlehem. Now, I took my wife with two of our kids. I took her to, to give birth in a 1992 Mitsubishi Galant. That was a sweet ride. That was a sweet ride. There's even this little power button that you can have some extra power in that thing. That was probably a little bit better for her than riding on a donkey for 120 miles, right? Then Mary and Joseph, they get to town. And Mary's like, dude, I'm in labor. I'm dilated. This baby's coming. Joseph, you got to do something. And, and Joseph looks around. There's no, there's no hospital. All pulls up his phone. All the Airbnbs are booked. He's like, well, I'll go to the hotel. The hotel says no vacancy. And so finally, he's like, what am I going to do? And finally, he's able to, to talk to an innkeeper and negotiates. And, and the innkeeper says, well, sure, we've got a barn out back. You can, you can use the barn tonight. And when I see a barn, when I read that, I think about barn stuff. I think about like this drafty space where it's cold and winds blowing through. I think about animals and animal stuff on the floor. Like how many of you think that sounds like a peaceful birth, right? And check this out. No epidural. No epidural, no peace. Am I right? There's got to be one woman in here who's like, amen to that. And you look at the story and you're like, well, okay, well, I just don't quite see the peace. Well, then Jesus is born. Maybe after Jesus is born, maybe that's when we experience peace. Well, wrong. 
Because after Jesus is born, King Herod, he hears about this newborn king who's been born. This this king of the Jews. He reads about all the prophecies in the Old Testament. He gets jealous and he makes a decision. He says, you know what? I want to kill that newborn baby. So King Herod puts in place a genocide where all of the boy, baby boys two years and all younger are going to be killed. Does that sound like peace? Does that sound like peace? You think about the story of Jesus' life, all the things that happened to him, Jesus being mocked and, and Jesus being crucified. Does that sound like peace? Well, I know, we're Christians. So we obviously are going to go and say, well, Jesus came to, to, to save us from our sins. So maybe, maybe after Jesus has died for us and is resurrected and back home to heaven, maybe that's when we get peace, right? That's like, like today in our life, that's when we experience peace, of course. Let's just be real, though. How many of us right now are, are stressed financially? There's gifts, and we've been spending and spending and buying the things that we know everybody's going to love. But January's coming, and so is that credit card bill and all that other stuff. And as those kids are unwrapping all those gifts and having all that fun, we're sitting here thinking, man, someone's got to pay for that stuff, right? Some of us are are preparing this week to get together with our extended family. How many of you are experiencing peace thinking about that? How many of you are having anxiety because every family has that one person? That one person that says the wrong thing, that always creates controversy, that creates division. And listen, let me just say, it may just be that the rest of the extended family thinks this about you. You might be that person yourself. Man, there's all sorts of relational conflict. Kids and parents who aren't getting along. Marriages that are struggling. And oftentimes, It seems like Christmas just exasperates those issues, exasperates the brokenness where we wish that things were different. We wish that things were were better, and they're not. And so at Christmas time, we're like, where's that peace? Rowdy is there are those of us that are struggling with addiction, struggling with ongoing sin. What about people who just don't get along? Like, I guarantee you, if you go to Target on on Tuesday afternoon, you'll pull into that parking lot, and I guarantee you someone will honk at you and wave at you with one finger. Merry Christmas! Because people just are stressed out. They're not getting along with one another, right? You turn on the TV, you read the news, hear about countries at war, hear about mass shootings. In fact, when you look at our own community, those are three shootings, three shooting deaths in the last month. And if I'm just going to be honest, like if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, if God says Jesus is the Prince of Peace, is it fair for me to ask if he's failed? Like when you look around the world around us, if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, man, has he failed? Is there any wonder why people begin to look around and, and can't understand that Jesus is the Prince of Peace because you look at the world around us And it seems like we're longing for peace, but it's gone. And here's why. I think the reason that sometimes we struggle seeing peace in this life is because we have the wrong definitions of what it means for Jesus to be the Prince of Peace. Because it's easy for us, it's easy for us to to project 
our own definitions of Prince of Peace on him and say, okay, if you're the, the giver of peace, God, this is what it should look like. And so what we want to do today is rather than projecting our thoughts on God, we want to actually allow uh, God to tell us what he means when he calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. Look at those two words, prince and peace. That first word, prince, the Hebrew word is sar. And what that means, what it means to be the sar, the, the prince, is that he is the one who is in charge. That he's the captain, that he's the chief. Here's a spiritual term that we use. He is the Lord. He is the one above all. In fact, when you look in the Romans, they took this word sar, which means prince, and they, they came up with the word czar. Ended up being transferred into the word Caesar. Caesar Augustus. Julius Caesar. This gives you the idea of what it looks like to be the prince, the Tsar, that you are the one that is in charge. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. Because since the very beginning of time, one of the major problems in humanity, one of the major problems that every one of us struggles with, is it's a kingship problem. It's a lordship problem. That we like to be the prince. We like to be the princess. We like to be on the thrones of our lives. We like to be the one in charge. We like to be the captain. We like to be the chief. We don't want anyone to tell us how to live our lives. We don't want anyone to tell us, here's how you should operate. Here's the way that you... We don't want anyone to put boundaries around us. Man, we like to chart our own course. Call our own shots. I'm in charge it's my life. No one can tell me what to do. So we rely on our own, on our own wisdom. We rely on ourselves, And we put ourselves on the throne and guide our life the way that we want it to be guided. And despite the fact that we make lousy kings, man, isn't that one of the biggest struggles in life is that fighting for that throne of our life? No one's going to tell me what to do. Teenagers struggle through that. Get to a point in your life, man, no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm in charge now. Get into adulthood, well, my boss can't tell me what to do. I'm in charge. I'm the Lord of my life. Plays out in all these different ways. Whereas when we look at Scripture, Scripture continually paints a picture that Jesus is king. I'll borrow that from Kanye. Jesus is king. In fact, when you're looking in Scripture, 45 times in the book of Revelation alone, 45 times in the book of Revelation, we see John painting Jesus as sitting at the right hand of God on God's throne. 45 times we see Jesus on the throne. And so when, when, when God says Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that he's the Tsar, that he's the, 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 the Lord, that he's the chief, what God's trying to do, he's trying to, kick us off the throne of our lives and place Jesus firmly there for all time and for all eternity. That by, by calling Jesus the prince, the, 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 the king, the ruler of our lives, God is trying to correct the order and the position of our worship. Where no longer do we worship ourselves and no longer do we worship the creation, but that we would transfer that worship onto Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. And here's what this means. That if Jesus is the Tsar, if Jesus is the Prince, if he's the Lord, if he's the Chief, if he's the Prince of Peace, 
If he's the one in charge, it means that we can't do whatever we want to do and anticipate we're going to experience peace. That if Jesus is the one in charge, if he's the ruler, that we can't do whatever we want to do and experience peace. That we have to, if we want peace, we have to humble ourselves, come into his order, his plans, his structure, his way of life, if we want peace. Because isn't that contrary to how most of us live? Most of us, we just go through life, and we're going to do our own thing, and we're going to expect, okay, God, I want peace in this. This is where a guy gets his girlfriend pregnant, shows up to church, he expects peace. You think he's going to have it? But no, because he is outside the lordship of Jesus. He's outside the, 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 the direction that God would give us to live our lives. This is where you've got a couple fighting in front of the kids, screaming, calling each other names. And all of a sudden, well, I expect peace in the middle of that. Really? This is where we charge up our credit cards. We spend more money than we actually make. And we expect peace. This is where we use and abuse drugs or alcohol or pornography. And somehow we expect peace in that. We don't experience peace. Because doing those things puts ourselves on the throne. It puts our wants, our desires on the throne, and it doesn't allow Jesus to claim his spot that he rightfully deserves on the throne of our lives. So here's here's the thing. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And when we place ourselves underneath his lordship, when we allow Jesus to claim that spot as prince, as king, as ruler of our lives, then we allow him to rule and guide us, that at that point... When we step off the throne, allow him to climb up. At that point, he gives us a peace that most people can't understand. When the world falls apart, that God gives us this inward peace that goes beyond any human understanding. So first and foremost, we have to understand that if we want peace, we have to step off the throne of our lives and allow Jesus to claim that role as prince, as ruler, as chief, as lord. But what is this peace? He says, Prince of Peace. What does it mean to have peace? Does that mean that it's like, a, you know, sitting at a, a quiet river, meditating, listening to the birds chirp? Is that, is that peace? The word peace here is the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom. And what it means is it means to make complete. It's connected to wholeness, to completeness. Connected to the idea that the way that things are supposed to be. And there's so many of us, we have a limited view of what peace really is. I mean, I'll, I'll just share personally, I, I've really struggled with an uh, 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 improper view of what peace really is. Partly, I think, because of how I was raised. But for me, I look at peace and I think peace is the absence of conflict. The absence of conflict. And again, I think this is partly of how I raise because I, I hate conflict. I fear rejection. I fear someone rejecting me. I fear being alone. And because of that, I long for peace. I long for the absence of conflict where I'm not going to have to face rejection or being alone. So what that means for me is that I become really quick in trying to end an argument where I will stop yelling because now we don't have the conflict. But that's not peace. Nothing's been resolved. 
We're still lacking. That's not complete. Parents, oftentimes we hear our kids screaming in the background. They're fighting with one another. And what do we do? Be quiet! Is that peace? I mean, they may listen. They may be quiet. But is that peace? No. That's not peace. That's lacking true peace. Maybe they're quiet, but that's not true peace. Because peace is greater than just the absence of conflict. Peace means that we experience wholeness, completeness, the way things are supposed to be. In fact, an idea of this, shalom, uh, the original meaning of the word, you would often find it used um, in, in talking about perfect stones with no cracks. Or a city would build a wall and they would say that there is peace, there's shalom when the wall is perfect. There's no cracks in the walls. And so a city would have shalom, they would have peace, they would have completeness and full protection when there was no cracks or gaps in the walls that were surrounding them. For us, sin, sin is the cracks in our life. And we need shalom. We need peace. We need to be restored. We need to be made complete. We need to be made whole. And this is where true shalom, true peace, isn't just something that we create on our own. It is a process of being restored, of being made complete. And this is where Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, there's this peace that comes from him. Because think about this. We understand that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But look what Jesus said in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. And notice, notice whose peace he's leaving with us. Notice who it belongs to. He says, my peace, my peace I give to you. It's not this general peace. It's not this peace that you go find on your own. Jesus says, as the Prince of Peace, my peace I give to you. Because true peace is given to us from Jesus. That as the Prince of Peace, he gives us peace. Let me try and give you a couple of pictures to understand what it looks like for Jesus to give us his peace. I've got a friend named Adam. And Adam is a, is a genius with firearms. Like you, like he's just a genius. No, I didn't grow up with firearms. And so uh, a couple years ago, I'm like, man, I'd really like to learn how to shoot. I'd like to do this. And, and I'm afraid. I'm like, I'm going to shoot my foot off. Like, I'm going to do something dumb. So I'm like, Adam, let's go. And, and we're, at, we're at the range. And he's kind of working through. He's showing me. Man, as I'm there with Adam, and he's showing me, he's reminding me, he's telling me how to do it. Man, there's a, there's a peace I'm experiencing when I'm there with Adam. Not because I'm great, but because Adam, in his experience and knowledge, he's giving me his peace. There's this peace that he gives me as he's guiding me and instructing me and saying, hey, here's the way you need to do this. Here's how it works. Does that make sense? Let me give you another picture. I'm thankful I have a, a great father-in-law. Uh, my father-in-law can build anything and fix anything out of nothing. In fact, he could probably build a house out of nothing but like a paper clip and super glue. Like he's just amazing. He's amazing. Me? Man, I, as he's building a house, I could go get him a Diet Coke with some ice in it. Like I, I could do that. Like that would be my role. Uh, a couple years ago, we had the chance to build our house. And it was a great experience. And I'll tell you what, as my father-in-law was there with me, 
And he's like, here's what you need to do. You need to hold this board like this. You need to grab this nail gun. You nail it like this. And then you patch your hole like this. And then you, and then you paint. And then he's always, make sure you clean up after yourself. Like, you do all the work. Clean up after yourself. That was the thing I heard again and again and again and again. Man, and while I'm working with my father-in-law in that moment, man, I don't panic. I don't panic. Not because I know what's going on, but because he knows what's going on. And he is giving me his, his peace. He's guiding me. He's leading me. And there's this peace that comes from him saying, here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to do it. Listen, this idea of how do we experience peace? Where's the peace around us? Here's what it comes down to. Here's what it is we need to hear today. That when we are under Jesus... When we allow Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, when we give him the position of prince, of leader, of ruler of our lives, that he then gives us his peace. That our peace that we try and create in our own, that's a false peace. That's not true peace. But there's a perfect peace that God gives us when we submit ourselves under Jesus being Lord of our lives. Man, just begin to think about this. Where is it in your life that you are lacking peace? Where is it in your life that you are not experiencing peace? Is it in your marriage? Are you lacking peace in your marriage? Is that at your workplace? You're lacking peace at work? Maybe for your kids, are you lacking peace with your parents? Are you lacking peace in your finances? Listen, I think it's worth every one of us considering and asking ourselves, am I refusing to allow Jesus to be the prince, to be the Lord, to be the ruler, to guide, to lead, to direct? Or am I being stubborn? Am I trying to say, well, I belong in the throne of my life? Because you can't do whatever you want to do and expect to have the peace that comes from God. It is so important for us to just humble ourselves and just consider. Just consider. Man, there's this area of my life that I don't experience peace. Just consider, well, maybe it's because I've put myself on the throne and I've been unwilling to allow Jesus to be in control. To follow the direction he has for me. The plans, the guidelines. Man, there are other areas for us other areas of life that just become hard. We feel like, well, maybe I'm, I'm trying to allow Jesus to be prince. I'm, I'm giving him that authority, but man, there's still this struggle. And I'm not experiencing peace. Listen, I want you to hear what Jesus says to you in that moment. Jesus says in Philippians chapter 4, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be, known, be made known to God. And when we do that, what happens? That we let a request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That as we start looking around our lives, and we see some of this dysfunction, we see some brokenness, we see some areas that aren't whole, some areas that are not complete, some areas that are not the way they should be. We don't have peace. What 
Philippians just told us to do is to step under the lordship of Jesus. To take our requests to God and present them to him. And say, God, God, I can't do this on my own. So God, I'm giving this to you. God, I, I trust you with this. And because we let him be in charge, that he gives us his peace. Not necessarily that he changes everything and, and makes the circumstance every, happily ever after. But he gives us a peace regardless of our circumstance. A peace that rules our heart. A confidence that God is at work. Let me just share a, a little personal experience of how I saw this this past year. My mom was an amazing woman. Uh, my mom adopted me and two of my sisters uh, when nobody wanted us and uh, loved us like no one else did. And as, uh, as we grew up, uh, when I became a teenager, I, I decided to become a Christian. And I placed my faith in Jesus, and this created some conflict in my home. My family was raised Mormon. My mom was, was Mormon to a, a T. And when I became a Christian, they created all of this conflict. My mom was very upset. I remember we had this conversation and things were said. Some hard things were said. Difficult things. That, that created f- friction in our relationship. Fractured our relationship. And again, for me, who hates conflict, who doesn't want to deal with rejection, man, as I got married and started having kids, I mean, there began to be some, you know, uh, our relationship improved. You know, we could talk to each other. We could be around each other, and it was, it was good. But there's never peace. There's never resolution. There's never wholeness in my relationship with my mom. There was still this, this, this thing that happened that was never dealt with, and it was creating this tension between us. Last year, around this time, my mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I knew, I knew, man, we have to have this talk. We've got to have this conversation of what happened 18 years ago. We've got to talk about the things that were said. We've got to talk about the brokenness that was felt. And I'm scared to death. I'm scared. I hate this. I hate that conflict. I hate bringing these things up. And one of the last days that my mom was fully lucid before she passed away. We had that conversation. We talked about what happened years earlier. Talked about the things that were said. I knew that God wanted me to share the gospel with my mom that I was so scared to do. But I said, God, this is what you've asked me to do. And I I shared the gospel with her. And I'll tell you what. And my mom passing away was hard. But there is a very real peace. There was a presence of God with me during those days. There was this incredible peace that brought me more comfort than I could ever imagine. And I can tell you with everything in me, I believe that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And that we would, when we submit to his lordship, when we allow him to be ruler and king over our lives, that his peace will comfort you no matter what difficulty you go through. That his peace will carry you through. 
that it's a, it's a peace that, that surpasses all understanding. In a time of my life that should be one of the most difficult, that, that his presence was so real, his peace was so thick over me. Listen, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Peace. But do we know that his peace comes at a great cost? That Jesus actually went to war for us. He went to war for you. He faced enemies that you and I stand no chance against. He faced uh, sin and Satan and death and hell. And he fought those things on our behalf. Colossians chapter 2 says that Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal commands. That he set aside our sin, nailing it to the cross. That he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to, own, to put them by shame by triumphing, triumphing, triumph, triumphing over them in him. That Jesus went to war so you and I could experience peace. And not only that, not only did he go to war for us, but he volunteered to be a casualty of war so that you and I could go free. Isaiah 53 says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Listen, we would be a fool not to take up the peace that Jesus offers us. And it's only when we understand his kingship, and it's only when we understand that he is the prince of peace, that he can begin to deliver us from the pride, the anger, and the wicked heart, and restore us to wholeness, restore us to completeness, and give us a peace with him. Ephesians 2 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you, us, who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And I want you to listen to this. Who's he talking about here? For, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How do you experience his peace? If he says... He is our peace. How do we experience that? James chapter 4, very plainly. James 4 says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Man, we long for peace. We're desperate for, for peace. I'm tired of looking around our world and seeing the brokenness. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is found in Jesus. He is our peace. And the peace of Jesus is ours when we are willing to submit to him as Lord. And that's the question for you today. Listen, outside of him, we have no promises. But inside of him, of him as Lord of our lives, that we have a peace that passes all understanding. Bow our heads for just a moment.